Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Why is... For you and I, in a simple term, why is life not easy? Here it is. Life is not easy because God allows us to choose. See, life would be a piece of cake if God hadn't given us choice. We wouldn't be in any of this mess. If Adam and Eve had no choice, they just had kids. The kids had no choice. We'd be in a perfect world today. But it's not a real world. It's a robotic world. If you're a parent, there were probably times when the thought crossed your mind, I wish these kids would just obey. (laughs) Disobedient children can be such a vexation. If you've thought that, you may have wondered why God didn't do that with us. It would have made things much easier for him. No rebellion, no need for Jesus to come and do what he did. As Pastor Mark will be teaching, though, God didn't want to be loved by people who were programmed to love him. He wanted them to choose to love him. Because of that ability to choose, they could and did choose to hate him as well. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 2 as he continues his study, The Life of David. For those of you that are anxious tonight, raise your hand if anybody's anxious. Come on, quit lying. Anybody anxious? We're all anxious. You're anxious to lose weight. You're anxious to exercise. Well, maybe not. We're anxious. We're anxious about a million things. Wait on the Lord. See, he told him to go to Hebron. He told him, and the people anointed him. That's as far as it's going to go. That's it. He can't go any farther. And you're going to see why in a moment. So that's important for all of us. It's, it's a lesson we have to learn. It's not an easy lesson. Now, again, look at verse 4. When David was told that it was the men from Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, he sent messengers to them to say to them, The Lord bless you for showing this kindness to Saul, your master, by burying him. You remember they went and brought the bodies back and actually cremated them, gave them a proper burial. Now may the Lord now show you kindness and faithfulness, and I too will show you the same favor because you have done this. So what David's trying to say is this, I honor Saul. I'm not happy that he's dead. I let God take care of the situation. But then in verse 7, it's kind of a little bit of a hint. Look at verse 7. Now then, be strong and brave. For Saul, your master, is dead. Oh, and by the way, the people of Judah have anointed me king over them. So it's a little bit of tweaky in there. Okay, Saul's dead. You don't have a king. By the way, I would be honored to be your king. That's about all he says. Next, you're going to see why life isn't easy. It's never easy for us. Why? Because Satan is always out 
to destroy God's plan. Look at verse 8. Meanwhile, the whole reason David can't take over is because of meanwhile. Other people have plans. Abner, son of Ner, the commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Now, he made him king over Gilead, Asher, Jezreel, over Ephraim, Bethlehem, and all Israel. So in the northern part of the country, the other 11 tribes are going to be managed now by one son that was left of Saul. So we have the one small town down in Hebron, Judah. David's over that. The other 11 are going to be managed by this son that's remaining. So look at verse 10. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he reigned two years. The tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. Now, the length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. So interestingly, for whatever reason, all the tribes of Israel did not immediately recognize David as king. Now, they should have. I mean, it had already been announced. Samuel came. The whole deal was done, but they didn't. Now, Abner was Saul's cousin. There's a relationship there. He was also the commander of Saul's army. Now, what had they been doing the last 10 years? Chasing who? David. So here he is, but Abner has other ideas. Now, from the scripture as you read it, the real leader is not Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. The real leader is Abner. He's the one that has his own desire. He wants this kingdom to be on its own. Why? He's the commander. And so it's very much a political thing, just like we see all around our world, especially in the United States as well, because we know that as more than any others. So he picks the only surviving son, Ishbosheth. Now we don't know why Ishbosheth wasn't out battling. Why didn't you kill? We don't know any of that reasoning. But he makes him king over the remaining tribes. He's really going to be a little puppet, is really all he's going to be. So what was Abner playing? Abner was playing God. And of course, he had a selfish motive behind all of this. Abner knew that God had taken the kingdom away from Saul, and that it was David. Abner absolutely knew that. But Abner is going to do his own deal. He made his own choice. He goes against the will of God. Now, Why is, for you and I, in a simple term, why is life not easy? Here it is. Life is not easy because God allows us to choose. See, life would be a piece of cake if God hadn't given us choice. We wouldn't be in any of this mess. If Adam and Eve had no choice, they just had kids. The kids had no choice. We'd be in a perfect world today. But it's not a real world. It's a robotic world. So God gave you and I, just like he does Abner, just like he did David, choice. And, of course, it's not just our choice. It's behind that choice was somebody that started it all wrong, Satan. And that's why tonight that life is not 
ever going to be easy. Because all the way to our death, we still make choices. Peter, right up to the crucifixion, was making choices. He made the wrong one three times one night. So we have that same kind of problem inside you and I. Now, while all of this is happening, David this time does the right thing politically. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't take things into his own hand. He doesn't try to become king over all Israel. He patiently waits for God's timing. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it's good for you to write it down, probably in the front of your Bible, just to remind you that God's delays are not his denials. David will be king. In your life and my life, when we're praying about things, I was praying about something over a few months ago, and just recently God responded to me. And I was just, one day I just said, God, I've been, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. Am I missing you? Am I not hearing you? Boom, that day he answered me. But I've been waiting for a long time. And it was just the timing of God. So just because you're in this delay process tonight, it's not denial. Don't give up on God. Don't take it into your own hands. It never works. Now, I'm going to take, because we're doing the life of David, I'm going to just take verses 12 through 32 and summarize it quickly for you, because I have so much to give you tonight. You can read it on your own, and you'll have to take a lot of time, because there's lots of names, lots of people. But let me give you the overall principle of what happens there. Abner, the commander of the 11 tribes of Israel, tries to arrange between Joab... Now, Joab is the commander of the tribe of Judah. So we have two commanders, Abner from up north and David's commander, Joab. Abner is going to come down. Abner has 11 tribes. How many think 11 tribes trump one tribe? That's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? You'd be like you and I playing against the Miami Heat. Not a chance in the world. So Abner, he's going to start invading and trying to get his way down in Judah. Now, when he does that, he goes with Joab. And these commanders do something that's not unfamiliar in those days, but a little strange to us. Abner, having this big army, thinks, I'm just going to challenge these guys. The war's going to be over. There's not going to be an issue. So together, the two captains foolishly decide to do something. They get 12 of their own kind of special force people, like we've been hearing about, and they bring them together, and they say, whichever of these armies, David's and Joab's or Abner and Ishbosheth, whichever those 12 guys in each army wins, that'll settle the deal. Well, they fight, and as you read the passage, you'll see all 24 of them die. So they're left with a draw. So the next thing is, they get the armies together. And all the armies, the 12, the, the 12 tribes in their army and David and his one, his 600 men plus whatever he has at the point. And all of a sudden, here's a key word I want you to think about tonight. Civil war breaks out. The battle between all the armies is incredibly fierce. It's just the first of many. It's incredibly fierce. And in the end, Joab's men, David, defeat Abner and his men, impossible, except God's on whose side? David's. So look down in verse 30, and you'll see the end of all of this that I was talking about. Then Joab stopped pursuing Abner, again, Joab and David's, Abner, Ishbosheth's, and assembled the whole army beside Ahshahel, 
19 of David's men were found missing. So 20 people of David's men in that big battle of all the armies died that day. But David's men had killed 360 Benjamites who were with, with Abner. So let me ask you a question. Whose side has God on? You already see it's going to happen. When the initial battle is over, by the way, this is only the beginning, as we move on, what do we see? And just look at me for a moment. God will always win out. Doesn't matter how you want to figure it, God will make it happen. Now, he's going to take men's choices, and they're going to pay for it, but he'll eventually get his will. No question asked. He'll get his will. So in this case, it, it doesn't make any sense, 11 tribes against one, and they defeat him like crazy. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because God's there. So what do we have now? We have a civil war in Israel. Now, I want you to think about that. How wise, how wise is Satan? You remember the little map I showed you? Who's trying to destroy Israel? All the enemy nations are trying to destroy Israel. Now what's happening in Israel? They're destroying themselves what? Within. So who's the wise one? Satan's the wise one. Because all their energy is where? Destroying each other. And eventually, if they do get through, what happens to the outside? Easy pickings. Civil war within Israel. Now, I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture, because I want to talk about this just quickly tonight. The First Corinthians chapter 3. Behind all of this is Satan. Behind all of that is our choice. If Joab hadn't have done that, if he didn't try to keep his position, try to put himself in a really good place, Israel would have been very strong right now. But now they're weak. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me ask you a question quickly. What about civil war in the church? Pastor Mark would never, could never be in the church. First huh. Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, Paul says, talking to the church at Corinth, there in Greece, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is, here we go, jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men, carnal men, not spiritual men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So, civil war in a church, we don't have it, praise God, say amen, amen. We don't have it. It comes from one thing, selfish ambition. People trying to work their way, and it hurts unity. That's exactly what was happening in Israel at this time. Selfish ambition. Civil war can come to even a church. Even during the times of Jesus, we see Satan getting the disciples to do what among themselves? Argue among themselves. Who's the greatest? Who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? Why did you do this? After Peter's restored, you would think Peter would just go, praise God. What's he say? Hey, what about John back here? Now, don't look funny at Peter. 
Because we're the same way. See, so Paul had to address it in the church. And I want to thank you because we don't have civil war on our campuses. None of our campuses. We're not against each other. We're together. This thing on Friday night, family fight night. This is perfect, isn't it? We're coming together as a family to fight against who? Satan. That's a good thing. So David is doing the right thing. Abner is doing the wrong thing. How important is unity in the church? Let me read. May God, out of Romans 15, who gives the patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are new, and you've never really been in church a lot. In many ways, that's a good thing. Because some of us have come from other things way back in our past, and the enemy knows how to divide churches. He just knows how to divide churches. So I want you to write this statement down and then just continue to pray for our church, always. Because it isn't automatic. We have to continue to ask God that we won't be selfish trying to promote one another against somebody else. A healthy church is simply based on unity. We're in one accord. And you go back to Acts chapter 2, they were all together. That key word is together, 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 together. I love the word. Thanks for being together. We're not after each other. We're not saying, I like Pastor Mark more than Pastor Dave or Pastor Bo or Pastor Dean or Pastor X. No, we're all servants of who? The Lord. So we're in it together. We love the Lord. Amen? The rest of us are just people. We're just people. Now, we don't want you to hate us, but we're just people. Now, outside the church... How many bodies are there outside the church? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. So we're to work together. From time to time, we work with lots of other churches that believe biblically. Can't work with a church that doesn't believe biblical. We have nothing in common. But remember, when you go down by the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church or plenty of the other churches that believe in God, Jesus is the only way in the Scripture, their family. We're going to be a little different. We're going to have a little different things, whatever. I don't have a robe on and all that kind of stuff. It's all right. They do. As long as they're teaching the word, who cares? We're family. So be praying for them. See, we're not out against people. We're against Satan. And we want to have all the energy we can have here so that we can go out and be strong. Got it? Okay, so when you get a little selfish, if something kind of raises up, pick some, I won't pick anything because then you'll email me. But, um, you know, pick anything that happened in the last 20 years. Why don't we do a Christmas thing like that? Why don't we do something like this? What happened to the webpage over there? What happened to the bulletin? It used to be like this, now it's like this. What happened to this? Where do we see you used to sit like here? No, I can't sit over here. Now. Forget it. You're not like that. Praise God. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not like that at all. I'm not like that at all. That's good. All right. Let me ask you another one. What about civil war in the home? What about civil war in the home? I want you to see this, and I want you to write this opening statement. A healthy marriage is based on oneness, unity. Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Oneness, learning to live together as a team, interdependent, 
companions, glued together by God. What affects one spouse affects another. In Israel, in Judah, one affected the north, affected the south. They just didn't understand it. In our marriages, the same. We should be working together peaceable. What is oneness? You don't need to write this down. Let's just talk about it. Those of you that are married, those of you getting ready to get married, what does it mean to be in oneness, to be in unity? Oneness can be defined as being in agreement first with God's will, because marriage is not a twosome, it's a threesome, with God's will for our lives, and then in agreement with our spouse. Now, very often, in fact, recently I was talking to a couple, and it's kind of normal because it happens in all of our homes. One of them came from a large family, one came from a small family. Maybe you're here tonight, you like, the, you like a small country home, the other guy likes to live in the 18th floor of the major city. And what does God do? For some reason, he puts us together. Because he's got a great sense of humor. Am I right? Yeah. One of you likes TV, either one of them, you could turn the sucker off. One likes to travel, I love to travel, my wife would love just to sit home. So what do we do? I sit home a couple days a week, and the other 365, I travel with my wife. No, I'm just kidding you. So why did God do that? Because we're different. And what did he want us to show? That we could work together. We could work together. Now, when there's not unity in the home, what does it look like? War. Just what we're talking about tonight. And when there's war in the home, the enemy always wins. And who always loses? The children. Because who's Satan after? Our kids. Be careful. So as you and I think about our marriages, Amos says it like this, do two walk together unless they agree to do so? Not a chance. So we have to, God made us different to stimulate us spiritually. And God's main goal is not to make us happy. We are happy. Marriage is awesome. But it's to make us more like him. So I just want to challenge you tonight, relationally, spiritually, if there's a struggle in your marriage tonight, just ask the Lord to make unity peaceable, not war. Take some time. Talk about it. Remember that the person that's against you is Satan. He divides. He's always divided. Don't let it happen. We all have times where we go a few days and it's not really pleasant. All of us. And then I, this year, 45 years. Once in a while, we'll still have two or three of those days where we love each other, but we don't like each other too much during those times. Don't look at me funny, because you're exactly like I am. You're probably there tonight, and you're going, why aren't he talking about this? Because the Lord knew. Am I right? Yes. So just say with me, life is not easy. Why? Why? Because I choose choose correctly. Israel didn't choose correctly. Today, Pastor Mark talked about David's rejection by the other 11 tribes after being anointed king of the tribe of Judah. You learned how this situation could have caused David to become anxious and to question God's plan for his life. But he continued to trust God for his future. This is a good lesson for you to absorb because God has controlled your future too. We know social media is a big part of everyone's lives, and it's a great way to stay connected with each other. 
We'd like to add a little bit of joy and Jesus to your Facebook and Twitter pages, so come like and follow us. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest information about Pastor Mark, the Ministry of Lessons for Living, and the church behind it, Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and follow the links to connect. That's LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Next time, Pastor Mark will continue his teaching on the life of David. He'll talk about the disunity of the nation of Israel and how it influenced the world's view of God. He'll relate this to marriage and the importance of the husband and wife being in agreement so that their marriage can flourish. They can be used by God in the locale God has placed them in to minister. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series, The Life of David. That's next time on Lessons for Living. In a hurting world, a new hope he is given.